Greetings, everyone. This is Jim Emmerich. Welcome to the Joint Cast, interviews across the world with people who wish to share their stories about leadership, where this passion comes from, and the goodness that results. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Our inaugural episode is an interview with former Navy SEAL Jeff Boss, author of Navigating Chaos, founder of Chaos Advantage, and a Choink business partner. Welcome, Jeff Boss. It's, it's great to be talking with you again. I've been looking forward to this for a little bit. Uh, likewise. Likewise, Jim. Thanks for having me. Well, this is the inaugural podcast, and I was inspired a little bit by you after we got together earlier this year. And I want to talk to the audience today a little bit about yourself, but more importantly about what you wrote in Navigating Chaos. There's an important message there. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, happy to talk anything. Um, yeah, what's what's the pot, what's the joint cast about, essentially? Well, the joint cast is is my connection to audiences about leadership. Several years ago, I started reviewing books by various leaders, and now over time, people send me all kinds of stories, whether the book's about leadership or other stories that can be connected to leadership. I use them a lot in coaching, and it's a great way to connect with people and share stories about people who are trying to do good. Awesome. Awesome. I see your tweets on Twitter quite a bit about uh, book reviews, about, um, say, some important takeaways from a book. So uh, that, that, that totally makes sense. It looks, uh, looks like you're doing great work. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Well, let's get started. Um, first of all, how do people find you, Jeff? Uh, they can go to my website, jeffboss.com. That's J-E-F-F with, with a hyphen, uh, boss.com. Thank you for the plug. <laughs> sure. I also noticed when, when, I re- when I looked at Navigating Chaos that a portion of the proceeds from your book goes to the SEAL Future Fund. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the SEAL Future Fund was, um, was created by, by two good friends of mine. One is a for- former SEAL. Another one was a civilian. He was in the financial industry. He was a, he was a trader on Wall Street. And those two put together the SEAL Future Fund because the one guy, um, I'll just call his first name Johnny, because that really is his first name. But um, when he got out of the Navy the first time, he was given a list of, of jobs for which he was qualified. And the jobs were like a Home Depot manager, uh, supervisor at Lowe's. It was all this other stuff. But obviously that didn't really fit, one, Johnny's background, two, what he was really capable of doing. So um, he said, you know, there's got to be a better solution here. So he uh, he got together with a with a buddy of his. His name is Brian. He's the he's a trader on Wall Street, and and Brian saw the same dynamic. He saw that in in the finance industry, in on Wall Street, in business, the same dynamic, you know, the same things that made us successful on the battlefield are the same things that make them successful. Training, you know, decision making under pressure, working working together. Um, having difficult conversations, getting things done, you know, executing. So uh, they, uh, so Johnny and Brian put together this concept of the SEAL Future Fund, which is going to be a, a stair step for transitioning SEALs. And what the SEAL Future Fund does now is uh, help transitioning and former SEALs with uh, financial assistance for college. Um, and more than anything, it's networking, mentorship and networking. Because when you're in the SEALs, you know, you're, you're so just concentrated on, on, on being a SEAL, on deploying, on, on training and, you know, gearing up for the next deployment. But you, you really have zero time. You don't have any time. I won't say time, but it's not your priority to really, you know, go outside and network. You know, you're not going to be networking in, in Virginia Beach. You're just not. 
So um, that's what the Steel Future Fund does, is connect those dots with high performers, high talent, um, and, and connect those dots into the civilian world with whatever path they want to pursue. Very cool. And it, it's great to see that, you know, choink is also a term which can mean goodness. And I, I know there's goodness in there, and I'm glad you've shared that. Let's turn, let's turn to your book, Navigating Chaos. I'd like to think that mental curiosity or mutual curiosity led us to connecting. So let's start with that. How does curiosity inform what you call your five C's? Curiosity to me is, is the solution. It's, it's the pathway out. It's, it's the solution finder. Um, so for anybody who hasn't read the book, I'll just give a, a quick overview of, of the five C's, which have actually uh, coined into the six C's, uh, and how curiosity fits into that. If that's okay with you. Sure. Okay. So, so the six C's are clarity, competence, confidence, complacency, chaos, and curiosity. When you enter a new industry, when you pick up a new hobby, when you learn a new skill, you, you need, you start with clarity. You need it. You need clarity on what success looks like in order to build the competence you need to, to execute it. But you can't really be competent in something and not have the confidence with it, right? You can't be good at something and just not have the confidence to, to really execute it well. So with competence comes confidence. But over time, without challenge, complacency sets in. And you get used to doing the same old things in the same old ways. And you don't question the status quo. You don't question what is. You just almost become robotic in what you do. And that right, right then is when chaos uh, interjects. Chaos I define as unplanned, unwanted, unexpected change. Could be, could be a, a slip up you had, it could be a, a low performing, um, a low performance on a, on a job review, something like that. It's, but it's chaos. It's not complete and utter chaos as in, you know, the world is going to end type thing, but it's, it's chaos in the fact that it's unexpected or unwanted change. And so the way to circumnavigate complacency and chaos to me is through curiosity. Because you, when you continually question the status quo, when you continually question what is or what might be, and you're willing to answer those questions, that's the key part of it as well, is you're willing to answer those questions, then you, that's when you circle back to clarity. So from curiosity... You ask yourself those difficult questions, you answer them, and then that sheds new light on an old problem. I really like that. One of the one of the things that I I found in your in your in your book when you were talking specifically about the pathway through the five C's via curiosity is that it it takes humility. I think you stated that once, but there's there's so many people that seem to want to have everything figured out or the boss that wants to pretend they know it all. And this seems to be quite the opposite. So I, I greatly enjoyed that. On page 78, you described competence occurring when an ordinary group of individuals work together in an extraordinary manner. How did you reach this conclusion? You know, looking back, I would, I would equate that more to, to team competence or almost, I mean, it's not quite the definition of team, but it's pretty close. Um, how I came to that is is that navigating chaos was written through my perspective of of the seals. It was it was finished as I was transitioning out of the teams. So um, the whole premise of the book is I wanted to capture the lessons that 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 I learned that we learned in in operating at such an elite level and applying to business because I knew that they applied. So when I look back on 
on that definition of, of competence, I was looking at it through the model of how we operated as, as, as a team, in the teams. I wasn't looking at it through the framework of me. I was looking at it through the framework of, of we. So to be competent in, in the teams, you have to work together, right? It's, there's nothing, there's no me there. It's, it's all we. So um, in order to be competent, you really, it really comes down to, to working with somebody, working beside somebody, work, working with others. Everything in business is done through relationships, right? There's no, there's no single lone wolf contributor that really swoops in and saves the day. You know, it's always done through and with beside other people. So that was, that was whole, my whole um, uh, take on competence. I see. So you correlated the, also correlated the SEAL team model of shoot, move, and communicate also to a private sector. You call it the, the PAL or PAL model. Tell us when you first started yeah. thinking about applying your SEAL experience to the civilian world that way. I first started thinking about it when, when I was uh, thinking of getting out because I wanted to, basically, my, my time was up. I, I'd done eight deployments. I'd been shot on two of them. Um, I just had a, a number of crazy things happen that didn't drive me to get out, but it got me to the point it really got me to the point of almost complacency because like nothing else was, was, was really challenging for me. And I knew that that wasn't a place for me to be complacent. So, um, I looked for, I looked for an exit, but I wanted to take the lessons in leadership and teamwork and communication, decision-making and apply them because, because I knew they applied. Um, and so, so, so when it comes down to, uh, when it came down to actually transitioning out, um, there are three things that we had to do on the battlefield that made us successful. We had to shoot, we had to move, and we had to communicate. And we had to, we had to do so as individuals, and we had to do so as a team as well. And so obviously, you know, that's not going to transfer um, directly to the business world, at least, at least not, not the shooting part. But the aspects of shooting absolutely will. And, you know, for all the listeners out there who, who have shot a gun, even for those who have not, bullets don't automatically find their target. You know, there's a lot of mental performance that goes into focus, into decision making, into pulling that trigger at the right time in the right environment, and all the other, all the outside environmental characteristics that determine the best time to shoot that weapon. I can really go down a rabbit hole with with everything that entails shooting, but it's, I mean, it's it's mind, it's body, it's 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 emotional, it's social. Um, so what I did was was break that down into how it applies, what the shooting aspect of, applies to the everyday civilian. I see. And speaking of those those fundamental pillars, you also itemized four pillars of performance, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual in working with businesses. Which which of these needs to seem the needs to the most work and why? I wouldn't say any of the four needs the most work. I, I'd say they all need an equal amount of work. And the best example that I can share with you is if you take two empty glasses, one, let's just say one glass represents work, one, gl one glass represents just life. Let's, let's say it represents home. And water represents you. When you go into work, you pour water into the work glass. And over the course of the day, it, it fills up. And then with, you know, with urgent meetings that come up, you know, fires that arise and take time away from what you, what you want to do and you know, it, it attracts you to, to what you need to do type thing. Um, the water, the water fills up right to the, right to the top and then it's time to go home. So what happens when you have a, 
glass that's full of water to the brim, and you go to pour it into another glass, i.e. your home glass, the water spills out. So you show up home less of what you're capable of showing up as. So in that water, how I see it is all of those four pillars. You know, there's the physical part of you, which is your body, your health, your fitness, um, your mind. There's the emotional part, there's the social part, and there's the uh, mental part. All those four things, you know, represent uh, an entire human being as far as I'm concerned. And I think quite a bit of research will, will show that as well. So the key to me is, is, is managing those. If you imagine four different throttle controls, the key to those is getting those on an equal plane. It's one is too far above or one is too far ahead and, and others are too far back that you feel out of balance. It's when you feel misaligned, misguided. And so the key is to push, up, push those, those controls, so to speak, up so that they're in, in equal. Got it. Turning back to teams a little bit, you've, you've got a nice, um, a nice explanation about having purpose or shared purpose as a foundation for people, teams, or companies to work together effectively. Can you share a little bit about how, how strongly a conviction that developed over, over your time as a SEAL? It's, you know, it's, it's something that I just learned um, as a SEAL. And looking back and looking at all the, all the literature and research out there that, that supports teams around a common purpose, um, yeah, it, it was just something that, that I grew up knowing as, as important, but uh, you know, research out, out there actually confirms it. Um, you absolutely have to have a common purpose in a team. If there's no common purpose, there's really no team because that's, that's one of the essential defining ingredients of a team. Is, is coming together to work towards a, co a common purpose that you, know, you hold each other and the team mutually accountable for. Without that common purpose, then you have multiple purposes. If you imagine, imagine a sales team, for example, a lot of the sales teams that I work with, they, they call themselves a team, but they're not really a team because they have different territories. They have different areas for which they're responsible. And sometimes when they achieve their revenue goals or they hit their numbers, then they're like, okay, I got the Northwest. I'm going to go squeeze over into, into, I don't know, the Southwest and steal some of their, some of their numbers, some of their clients. That's not a team because their only goal as salespeople is to hit numbers. That's it. Hit them out, spit them out. That's, that's it. But as a team, if you were to change that dynamic and make that sales team have one common goal, hit all these numbers together, you know, then they're going to find ways to work together and, and figure that out. So, uh, common purposes is absolutely essential to, uh, to having a, a healthy team. It's also a big part in, in the leadership facilitation that I provide where there's many organizations just like you described that can end up with a siloed effect and people seem astounded that that can happen over time when in, in the discussions over several days in a course, we'll find out that they may even be unaware of what the, the goals are, uh, the greater goals of the company rather than their, their own little part like you just described with the sales force. Uh, another part that really fascinated me was you equate sharing knowledge, not just knowledge, but sharing knowledge with power. Can you unpack that for mm -hmm. us? Yeah, yeah. So one of my one of my beliefs is that of information or technology that knowledge is not power. It's powerful, but sharing knowledge is the true source of power because it enables others to act. 
it enables others to make decisions for themselves, which allows you as a busy leader, as a busy person, whatever you do, to focus on what you and only you can affect. And that's how you stay optimal. That's how you stay optimal as as an individual, as a team, and as an organization, by focusing on what you and only you can affect. I ask people oftentimes, how many times this week did you make a decision that somebody one, two, or even three levels below you could have made? And everybody raises their hands. Now, is that optimal? No. Now, what could have prevented that? What if they took the time to paint the picture of what winning looks like, of, of what success looks like? This goes back to the six E's, the clarity, right? Establish clarity. Take the time to get clear, and you don't have to worry about, about missed opportunities, about – put it this way. One of the things that I often say is that you can over-communicate or under-deliver, you know, and it starts with, with clarity. So when it comes to – why knowledge is, is not power, it's, it's powerful, but when you share with others what you are doing, what you're doing, and most importantly, why, then you provide them the context to see the bigger picture. And I'll share with you a, a quick study as to why this is so important, and it actually circles around curiosity. Um, there was a study by, by Lowenstein years ago that uh, they studied curiosity and they took two groups. They took two groups of people. The first, groups, um, the first group was placed in front of a, uh, a computer with 50, let's just say, touchscreen panels on it. And behind each panel was a new animal so that when people in this first group, they clicked on a panel, they would see a new animal. They would see a different animal. So they clicked on the first panel, they might see a dog. Next panel, they see a cat. Next one, a donkey, so on. After the first row or so, what the researchers found was that the people in that first group, they stopped clicking because they knew that if they just clicked on another, another panel, they're going to see another animal. And, you know, they're adults, they don't care. So you compare that with the second group who was placed in a similar environment. They're placed in front of a, compu- uh, a computer with 50 panels. But behind all these panels, this time was the same animal. So that when you clicked on a panel, you would see, let's just say it was a dog and if you clicked on a panel, you'd see the dog's snout, and then you'd see its forehead, and then its ears, and then its neck. And what they found in the second group was that all the people, all the participants, they kept clicking. They clicked all the way through, and they concluded that they wanted to see the bigger picture. So there's a lot of takeaways from, from there that apply to businesses and, and, and organizations today. And it centers around sharing information so that your employees can see the bigger picture. So they keep clicking. You know, in the first group, progress stopped. In the second group, it continued because they were curious. That's a great story. You know, when you, when you talked about empowering those that are even several, several uh, rungs down, if you will, in, in the organization, I get the sense that's a good example of you describing sharing knowledge as a way to serve others. On the other hand, you've, you've described in your book there's, there's three types of people when it comes to finding purpose. Ticket punchers dollar hoarders, and the purpose-minded. <laughs> so those are fun terms, but what, what led you to create those three distinctions? You know, um, they just kind of came to me right at the moment. Um, I knew there were three types of people, just like they're, you know, on a different plane, but very similar. They're sheep, they're wolves, and they're sheep dogs. You know, uh, ticket punchers, knowledge hoarders, and, and the purpose ones, they're all very similar. So, um, you know, when I wrote my book, it was it was pretty much one long four month uh, stream of consciousness, and so um, when I when I came to um, to classifying those people, um, it really just came to me in the moment. 
give me an example. But you see them everywhere. Give us, give us an example of what it looks like to you when you run into someone who's purpose-minded rather than those other two categories. When somebody's purpose-minded, you can tell that they have, they believe in, in we over me. You know, they have your best interest at heart. They, they know that, they believe that, actually, let me put it another way. They don't put themselves first. They, they put you first. You know, they put, they put the team first. They put the, the purpose of the team first. Uh, those are purpose-minded people. They, they, they serve others rather than serving themselves. You know, and, and it's not, it's a great quote. I forget who said it, but, you know, humi- one of the definitions of humility is not thinking, I'm going to butcher this, but it's, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And that's what purpose-minded people really do. You know, they, they put others first, and in so doing, they think of themselves less. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's a degree of servant leadership as well. And speaking of servant leadership, you've written a personal leadership philosophy since we met. That was several months ago. How, is, how has that guided you since then? That's right. That's right. It's, um, you know, it's good. It's really good. It's, um, I believe in having some sort of credo, some sort of manifest to guide your, your beliefs, because if it's not written down, then you're just not going to, it's just not, it's not there. Right. Kind of like having a goal versus a wish. Um, how has it guided me? It's, it helps me guide, uh, decision-making, uh, refer to my values and, um, do, do just that when things, you know, when, when I'm faced with a complex problem that I'm not sure which way to go with it, go back to to the leadership credo, you know, go back to the, the, uh, the belief. So it's, uh, it's powerful for sure. I like that term credo because I remember there, it was your, your experiences led you to write such a strong statement. It, it, it sounded like a credo to me. One of one of the things from my joint personal leadership philosophy has to do with connecting and learning more about people. So here's a fun question. Tell tell our audience, Jeff, something about yourself most people don't know. God, where do I begin with this one? <laughs> Just one. Um, well, well, how about this? Actually, no. I was going to share with you how I knocked out my eighth grade English teacher, but I'll talk about that. Um, it's a funny story. It wasn't intentional, but, um, I'd say, I'd say my sister is married to one of my best friends. Who's also a seal that was not planned. It happened by, well, happened by, I suppose as most relationships happen, they happen by accident. Definitely happened through, through me partly. But, um, I'll also say that if there were ever a seal that, uh, my sister was going to marry, then I'm, I'm glad it's him because he, he's a great dude. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. One more, one more question before we start wrapping this up. What goodness results, Jeff, say at a personal level when someone learns all the lessons that you've shared in navigating chaos? They find clarity. I would say they find clarity. I, I don't, I think motivation, motivation is important. Drive is important, but you don't have those without clarity. And the lessons from the book I, I wrote as a way, it was almost like a, it was almost cathartic to, to write all that and, and to share all that because it, 
one, it offered me my own clarity, and two, it offers others an opportunity to find theirs. So more than anything, I'd say the book offers some clarity. I appreciate that. There was, and there was a, a, a rawness to your book, and I think you achieved doing that. So looking ahead, what, what projects are you working on now that we should be keeping an eye out for? Oh, thank you. Um, so as far as, as far as what I do now, I, I work with teams to, to help them, uh, help them win together. Win, win is won by leveraging my SEAL experience. So in doing that, I haven't actually haven't announced this anywhere yet. So this will be the first place, the first time, um, I'm gonna, gonna write a second book, uh, actually a, a third, but on teams, if you remember from navigating chaos, there's really not a whole lot on teams and I did that intentionally because teams are just a completely different beast there's a lot of, of things that go into into teams um, and so this book uh, I don't have a title for it yet but this book is going to center around around teams and optimizing teamwork that's great and naturally you know I'd, I'd certainly like to be on your on your early uh, reviewer list when when that when that becomes ready and be happy to to share a review of a review of that with our audience. Thank you. You got it. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you for your time today, Jeff. You've shared a lot, and I think we've got a, a good start here to the joint cast. Cheers. Thank you for listening today. Make sure to follow us on Twitter hashtag Choink C H O I N Q U E, and visit www.choink.com to sign up for an upcoming leadership excellence course and to support one of our worthy causes, such as Autism Speaks Walk.